Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 5, Episode 12. And this is the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday, February 23rd, 2022, as of the recording of this episode, and I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I'm also joined by a special guest, and we'll do a more formal introduction here momentarily, but we have with us Mr. Wayne Dobbs. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to be here, Riley. Thank you. I'm glad to have you, and I'm looking forward to uh, an excellent discussion with you today, uh, getting your perspective on real-world skills for concealed carriers. I know it's going to be relevant information for, for our viewers and listeners here today. But first, today we want to mention a couple of sponsors of this episode. do want to recognize, uh, you know, Wayne, actually, you work for Aimpoint, so an honorary sponsor of today's episode is Aimpoint which you can find at aimpoint.com. Uh, coming out with some new products, the uh, new Duty RDS uh, uh, Carbine Optic and the uh, Acro P2, which people are pretty excited about, seeing more of those out in the wild. So, folks, if you want to check out aimpoint.com, that'd be the place to go to learn more. Actually, .us now. Oh, the, dot, dot .us. That's why we have you here is to keep me straight. <laughs> Aimpoint.us, got that straightened out. Um, also, today's episode sponsors being the Guardian Conference for 2022. You, you've been hearing a lot about it here recently, um, but uh, Wayne's actually going to be an instructor at that event, and we're so excited to have him on board uh, to bring his wealth of experience and knowledge to that conference. And I think after hearing today's episode, uh, many of you that maybe are sitting on the fence might be like, Dang, I got to go take a class with that guy. Well, the 2022 Guardian Conference will be an opportunity to do so. So head on over to guardianconference.com, learn more about the event, get all the details. You'll see our full lineup, still incomplete lineup, but almost complete lineup of instructors there on that page. Get get information on the location. We do have a block of hotels uh, and hotel rooms reserved there. It's about 12 minutes from the range super convenient in terms of accommodations very reasonably priced uh lunches are provided each day of the conference uh we'll have breakfast a, a basic simple continental style breakfast in the mornings all three days of the event coffee orange juice milk if that floats your boat fruit all that is going to be provided we'll have waters uh, and electrolytes distributed throughout the weekend of the event keeping you hydrated uh, we have medical personnel on the ground. So, I mean, this is a, it's a great opportunity and you're going to be in good hands and we're going to have a great weekend of training for three days in Oklahoma City. So please come join us in September. It's September 16th through the 18th of 2022 at the Guardian Conference. Go to guardianconference.com to learn more. And that is presented by CCW Safe. And Guardian Nation members, many of you will be in attendance. And if you're not a Guardian Nation member, you'll get special discounts to the, you'll get the, the best price you can possibly get off on the uh, Guardian Conference ticket price. And you'll get a special VIP invite to a dinner at the event Friday night. We had a great time last year. People thought it was 
a, a wonderful evening. I, I thought it was a great evening, even though I was kind of stressed being uh, one of the organizers behind it all. But it was a great time, and we, we look forward to seeing our Guardian Nation members there. So, again, guardianconference.com. You can also learn more about Guardian Nation membership at guardiannation.com. And I will mention also that, uh, uh, again, along with Wayne teaching at the conference, he's also going to appear on our Guardian Nation live event tomorrow evening at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, It's 8 p.m. Central and 9 p.m. Eastern. And, well, for you poor Pacific Coast boys and gals, uh, it'd be 6 p.m. your time. So there you go. We'll see you tomorrow evening for the Guardian Nation live webinar. Okay, we got all the uh, formalities out of the way, Wayne. So again, excited to have you here with me today and doing this. Um, I suspect that there's a number of folks in our audience that don't know who you are, maybe don't know a whole whole lot about you. Uh, You know, we, we dropped a little bit of a hint there that Currently, you are a, a representative with Aimpoint, so we know a little bit about you already. But why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background, uh, how, how you got to where you are now, and uh, even including your work with Aimpoint and so forth. Sure. Well, uh, I, I, always have to, uh, I always have to start out that I am a fifth-generation native Texan uh, on my mother's side. Uh, regrettably, my father was from Oklahoma. Which is excellent. Um, <laughs> Which is excellent. I, 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 Texans and Oakley, Oklahoma folks like to bust on each other. And so I never miss an opportunity to bust on Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, and, and I have so many friends there. And Brian Eastridge is my number one target most of the time. But <laughs> at any rate. And, uh, and I'm and, sorry uh, about your grandfather. <laughs> uh, yeah. My, uh, you know, I, I, I talk to them, especially uh, Eastridge and other Oklahoma folks. I always tell them that my favorite NCAA football team was whomever's playing OU this week. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny because my dad and, and his uh, brothers and sisters, and there were six kids, uh, they grew up, came up uh, in Oklahoma in the Depression and World War II era, and they all went to Oklahoma State. And it was called Oklahoma A&M then. So I'm a state fan, but not an OU fan at all. <laughs> uh, but I was born in South Texas uh, in Victoria. Uh, where my dad was working for Sun Oil Company down there. That was that was the family company. Uh, my grandfather and my uncles and my dad all worked for Sun Oil Company for careers and retirement. Uh, and he was he was uh, working in Victoria. Uh, grew was born there and lived there till I was about nine. And he took a transfer in 1966 to uh, Dallas to uh, get in on the ground floor of what Sun Oil Company called electronic data processing, which was quite the new thing in the late sixties. Mm. Anyway, he was on the floor of that. And, uh, we, uh, we lived in the Dallas area in Irving and I grew up and went to high school there. I was uh, in college and a friend of mine who was a cop invited me to come ride with him one night. And that was perhaps, uh, I, I didn't realize how significant that would be, but I said, I've got to do this. And so I changed, uh, to my mother's horror, I changed from being, uh, planning on, from being a pre-med major to, uh, saying I was going into law enforcement. And I did, I started with the Richardson police department, which is on the North side of Dallas, uh, and started with them in 1978, did 25 years with them. 
I was obviously on patrol for some time and then got to be uh, a plank holder in a team. Uh, it was a, a deployment unit and it was a special problems unit. All we did was work on specific people or specific problems. And it was mostly plain clothes, all unmarked. And so I, I've gotten to see quite a few crimes take place. Uh, had a very successful career there uh, or several years there and then went into uh, into investigations where I worked in an intelligence and, and a narcotics unit, spent time on an FBI organized crime task force in Dallas for several years. And all this time, I was really interested in firearms as a big shooter. I grew up shooting and hunting and got really, really serious uh, about uh, especially pistol competence. Um, I had many, many, many uh, dangerous and armed confrontations throughout that career, especially uh, in the narcotic side of things. And uh, at, toward the end of the career, I was, I was running my department's firearms training. I was also teaching uh, independently. I was paying for tens of thousands of dollars worth of training on my own. And when I retired and after 25 years, I had, I had a solid background in training, uh, both receiving it and delivering it, developing it. I had had quite a few successful students uh, that had come through, still run across them from time to time. Uh, and so I retired and I spent two years in Iraq on a State Department police training contract where I ran a firearms training program, uh, transition program for former Saddam era officers, ostensibly teaching them democratic policing concepts, which is probably one of the more tragic and hilarious jokes that's ever been pushed off on people. Uh, I did, I, I got, I was in the firearms and tactics side, so I wasn't tremendously frustrated, but still had a lot of experiences with that. I, I, I have seen literally astonishingly incompetent firearms use there. Uh, one time I had a group operational for 10 days, a hundred of them. Uh, we were uh, taking a group to Samara to run on insurgent positions. And during that 10 days, I witnessed 33 negligent discharges. Uh, yeah. Uh, so. Ouch. Uh, yeah. I've, I've gotten to see an awful lot in the firearms world from unbelievably incompetent and you know, just horrifyingly dangerous all the way to extremely competent. Uh, had a great time there. Uh, learned a lot. It was it was one of those places where when you had a success, uh, you were just ecstatic. It, it, it a small success, and you just stop and 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 jump up and down that somebody finally got it. Uh, after that, I came back. I worked two more years uh, stateside for the State Department in their Worldwide Protective Services program, which was a close protection detail selection and training program. Subsequent to that, I worked for Colt for several years as a, an armorer instructor in their law enforcement training division. Had a great time travel the country teaching uh, M4 and 1911 armorer courses to law enforcement agencies. And while I was doing that, I was also pro-staffing for Aimpoint, uh, did product demonstrations, uh, you know, work and trade shows uh, like SHOT or TTPOA, et cetera. And in uh, 2018, in January of 18, uh, I went full-time with Aimpoint as uh, one of their law enforcement sales managers. We call it professional sales now. 
and I have worked in that since then, and I manage the Western United States Law Enforcement Territory. live uh, in the Dallas area, uh, in Collin County up, up north, uh, ostensibly where common sense returns after you leave Dallas. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like every big city in America. Every, it doesn't matter yeah. where it is. They're all the same. You got, you got the big city where you just shake your head at what people are doing, and then you have the, the outer lying regions where, where the regular folks live. Yeah, but that's essentially what I've done. I've I've had a great career. I've learned a ton. I've got to do so much uh, in the training and operational world, uh, and and had a lot of success at delivering that training and students that uh, that did the same thing. That's excellent. That's awesome. Uh, it, it's always fascinating to me. That, you know, you're not necessarily alone in this, but there, there's a number of just neat individuals that by and large, probably were start, you know, their life started out doing very ordinary things, uh, just, you know, being a cop in some, you know, Texas town or whatever. And, you know, and by the time it's all said and done, if there was a book written on your life, like it, it's, it's, it's just interesting to hear you talk about how you did work for the state department and went overseas and, you know, all of that, like, that's just really, that's really cool. Yeah, it was, it was this <clears throat> probably, Looking at that Iraq time, that that twenty five months, that's probably the best time I ever had working. Even though at the time you're like, I've got to be crazy doing this. Uh, I mean, there was five hundred of us on the contingent contract. We had seventeen people killed the time I was the two years I was there. Uh, probably sixty or eighty wounded. Uh, so it was wow. it was truly one of those things where, well, first of all, in working in Texas as a cop, I never worried about somebody trying to kill me with a roadside bomb, a mortar or a rocket. And I got all of those experiences. Uh, So it was, it was probably the two best years I had working from the standpoint of having an understanding and an appreciation for what the possibilities were and that you were, you were there. If you were doing right, you were there trying to help uh, a bunch of really sad people stand up a country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you've uh, seen quite a bit in your life and uh, I've lived quite a, a varied amount of different experiences, uh, domestic, international, law enforcement, protective details, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now you're living the life of a civilian representing, you know, a big company right. and, and, uh, you know, working with, uh, law enforcement, uh, sales and contracts and things, but, uh, uh, you, you come pretty highly regarded in the industry, at least amongst those that I know and have t- I've spoken to and people that have, uh, attended courses of yours, blocks that you've taught at places like, uh, TACCON and, and mm-hmm. whatnot. And how, how do we get to where we, you know, like how do we reach, the average concealed carrier and and what do you think is what is your kind of number one talking point i mean that's where we got to start making this segue into uh what we're going to be discussing here today but what is relevant for concealed carriers to know i mean you, you look back looking back over your life experience um and of course i even skipped over a little bit about how you did quite a bit of plainclothes work and uh, imagine that you were carrying concealed during that time and, and, and being concealed was probably very important to your ability to do your job and remain 
undiscovered and and uh, safe. So, how do we translate this over into concealed carry world, and and where where is it relevant for average Joes and Janes out there carrying every day? There's there's a couple of things. Um, first of all, the uh, mental preparedness or awareness uh, aspect of it uh, probably is the overwhelming uh, the overwhelming requirement or or area to focus on, and that's not any fun because that doesn't come with any cute gear or the coolest holsters or whatever you know you might be wanting to focus on. Uh, that is a software game, and most people don't like to work on software games. Mm-hmm. Uh, most most people truly don't want to become excellent drivers. They they don't want to become aware of their surroundings. They don't want to become uh, <clears throat> overwhelmingly mentally competent at whatever task or skill they're going to undertake. Uh, they they like the fun. Like it's it's like the I saw an example of it a couple of months ago when I was on a trip. I was in Phoenix sitting in a hotel restaurant by a golf course and I was watching people driving golf balls and I have nothing to do with golf. <laughs> um, I, I just have never been interested in golf, but it was interesting to watch all these people hacking away at golf balls. And I was like, they were really awful. I mean, really, really <laughs> comically, almost tear ridden, awful. Sure. And, and I was just sitting there watching, and I thought, you know, that's that's one of the more popular things that Americans do for sport or recreation. And those people are all really bad, or most of them are. There was a couple of good ones. And I thought, and it's because they don't want to do what they need to do to be good at it, because that's going to require uh, some significant unlearning and relearning and practice and effort. And most people in America, especially, we're, we're probably the worst about it, is we want to buy attractiveness. We want to buy competence. We want to buy cool. We want to buy whatever. And that's not how it works. So that's probably the most important aspect of it is the awareness and and the the mental competence. Uh, The other thing, and it's part of the mental competence, is to have a realization and understanding that violent crime or a threat to you or your family or your home uh, is is very much a real thing. And it's not as infrequent as a lot of people want to think it is. Mm. Uh, I enjoy uh, Tom Gibbons as a peer and a mentor and a friend. And, you know, he, he, he delves into some Bureau of Justice statistics uh, information that would seem to indicate that instead of it being a one in a thousand chance or something like that, that over the long haul, our chances of a violent crime encounter, and I'm not talking about the police, I'm just talking about citizens, seems to hover somewhere between one in 30 and one in 50. And, mm. and those are those are pretty prevalent statistics. So much so that if you told me there's a one in 30 chance that this next airliner you're going to get on is going to drill a hole in the ground, I'm not going to get on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, there's, there's that realization. Uh, People will be all wrapped around the, the axle about seat belts and airbags or fire extinguishers in schools and fire drills. But the fact is, is that the uh, prevalence of, of criminal victimization, I think, is is is, is pretty significant. Uh, if you 
thing, and I, I know you've heard this as you run across a concealed carrier says, well, uh, I'm going to carry my gun today because I'm going to have to go to X location and it might be bad. I'm like, well, first of all, if you, if you think you need a gun to go somewhere, you probably shouldn't be going there. Uh, <laughs> and the other thing is, uh, why are you carrying the gun sometimes and not carrying the gun other times? Yeah. When, they, when they start talking about that, I say, here's what I want you to do then. Uh, for the next week, I want you to, I want you to drive and don't wear your seatbelt. And they're like, well, no, I might, I won't do that. I'm like, why not? And they say, well, well, I might have a crash. I said, right. And that's why you carry your gun all the time too. It's just like a seatbelt or a fire extinguisher. So yeah. that's, that's kind of where it is, is the mental aspects of it and the, and the commitment and the realization that, that that problem is out there and can come to you. And it doesn't matter where you live. Uh, I haven't run across too many places to where there's a wall around a town with guards letting people in and out. So uh, if, if someone can drive into your town, then they can come to victimize you. And and nice neighborhoods are great places to work, you know, for those guys. Yeah. So, Yeah. You know, I, I don't know how much you know about this podcast necessarily, but uh, since almost the very beginning, uh, we have covered and we dedicate whole episodes to it once per month. Now, it used to be a little bit of a different schedule going back a few years, but once a month, we dedicate a whole episode to just covering uh, citizen-based uh, defensive encounters or DGUs mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call them. We, 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 t- we have our own term for our company right. uh, called Justified Saves because uh, mm-hmm. we look at it as justified use of deadly force that saves life. Right. Um, and uh, we've been doing that for years now. And I'll tell you, the, the eye-opening thing that has happened for me as podcast host and combing through now over the years, thousands of these stories, news stories and YouTube videos and whatever is you realize, wow, violent crime, unfortunately happens to all sorts of people in all sorts of places at all sorts of times of day. There's obviously areas and times and things that are more prevalent than others. Uh, there's some trends that way for sure, but you're exactly right that, that I, today I think, well, I'm just going to go down to the grocery store or I got to stop at the convenience store and fill up my gas tank or whatever it is. And that might mm-hmm. be day in my relatively safe perceived you know neighborhood um, that I need my gun. Or some other yes. tool or some other thing to get extract myself out of uh, right. a scary situation. Gas stations are, are really, really good spots for that to happen. Uh, I don't know if it's still that way around here, but another place that uh, I just flat uh, wouldn't wouldn't go and people kind of raise their eyebrows, self-service car washes, mm. especially in the evening and nighttime. Uh, that was mm. carjacking central uh, in, in so much of this area, uh, especially you see a lot of them that were on fringe neighborhoods or on the, on the fringes of, of uh, areas that were pretty high crime. And some guy would be washing his car at one o'clock in the morning and be shocked because some bad guy showed up and hijacked his car from. Yeah. So, so self-serve car washes. Bad. Uh, Absolutely. Any kind of, any kind of parking lot, any kind of transitional area, uh, all of those have, have possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just give you an example. You know, you talk about convenience stores, uh, when I was in police work patrol or in that deployment unit, if we didn't have anything specific to do, I'd sit and watch a gas station or seven 11. I'd, I'd sit off a hundred yards with binoculars and, uh, 
and watch that because Tom Gibbons and I have both, you know, I heard him do it and I've said it for years before I heard him say it. It's, it's like an African watering hole. Everybody's going to stop by. And, <laughs> and so, and, and well, I would, I would, I would, uh, I would sit up on those and knock off license plates or see if I recognize people or people acting sketchy. It was, it's, it was, it was very, very, uh, very productive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We have an interesting question. Uh, you, you're kind of talking about this, um, mental attitude is mindset, uh, wherever you want to describe it as. And, and Christy here on YouTube asks, uh, how do you think instinct plays into things? Um, she goes on to say, listening to it. So many of us are taught that our instinct is irrational and dramatic and we learn to ignore it. Um, as it relates to living our lives and the mm-hmm. things we do, the places we go, uh, our attitude, uh, and our mindset regarding personal safety and security. Um, what do you think about instinct? Well, I don't know if instinct is the proper label. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, as humans, we have instincts uh, for general survival. We have instincts for food, water, shelter, and sex is, is essentially what our instincts are. Uh, but intuition might be a better way, a more accurate way to label it. Uh, there's a mm-hmm. great book out there. It's been on the shelves for years. Uh, called the gift of fear. Yep. Gavin de Becker. Mm-hmm. And Mr. De Becker is, is pretty anti firearms and <clears throat> things like that. But he, he pegged it real well that we have, you know, I, I think, you know, colloquially it would be called a like sixth sense. And, you know, we didn't, however, however you believe about how long humans have been on this planet. Uh, it's, it's at least, 10, 15,000 years. And so we haven't survived as a species that long without having some kind of, some kind of intangible or unwritten, uh, not carefully identified aspect about us that, that helps us see things. And, and, and you see it, uh, you see people describe it as the hair stood up on the back of my neck, or I had a bad feeling, or I knew something wasn't right. Um, you know, it, 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 encompasses several different descriptions and perceptions but the truth is is if you're attuned to this you should have that intuition uh that something is wrong and you'll find some people that pay more attention to their intuition than others and you'll find some people that say oh well i i thought something was wrong but i i wanted a b or c or i wanted this to happen so i i just disregarded that mm-hmm. um classically the the one that i that we all see is, uh, and, and it, as a parent, it, it will drive you nuts is, well, uh, he is so nice and he's treated me well. And just, he's only hit me a couple of times, you know, or he's, he, he yeah. only controls me a little bit. And so you, you see something that pings up that says you got an abuser on your hands here and people want to say, but I want, I, I like him. I, I can help him be better or something like that. Well, that is one of those gift of fear manifestations that you should pay attention to. Uh, you know, the guy that seems to be stalking you through a shopping area or stalking you across a parking lot or, you know, cueing his moves to your moves. There's all kind, of, and, and there's all these nonverbals that we can go on and, and, and do episode after episode on. You should pay attention to those. You should not yeah. disregard them and you should take action on them and you should take action on them immediately. 
because if if your genetic history is telling you that something's wrong, something's wrong, and yep. even uh, and, and and you should you should act on it, and especially these days in this this era of being woke or concerned about that, I've I've seen people say, well. I didn't want someone to think that I was a racist or that I was biased or prejudiced. So I didn't, I didn't take action. What we're, uh, what we're seeing a lot of times on that is, is anomalies. Uh, we're seeing an, an anomaly in the force as it were that's saying this isn't right. And there's been all kinds of stuff done on it if, for people that aren't trained or experienced in this. Uh, there's a great book out there called left of bang. Uh, my mind was going there as well. Yeah. That lays all this out. I I read it and I was, frankly, I was kind of bored with it, uh, because I'd, you know, done the 25 years of policing and then I'd done the overseas tour where I had been blown up, shot at, rocketed, mortared, you know, seen things go sideways. So I was like, okay, well this guy's, and, and then I realized, well, this guy's boring to you because you've already done all this, seen all this, you could write this book maybe, uh, or at least the framework of it. Uh, but then I realized for someone that doesn't know this, that doesn't have this experience, that's a great book. Uh, and there's a bunch of them out there. Uh, Lawrence Gonzalez's Deep Survival is another one that I would throw out there to people, mm. uh, for people to read. Mm. But yeah, uh, pay attention. Pay attention to the instinct or the intuition or whatever you want to call it. If, if, if you're getting the buzz that something's wrong, something's wrong. Yeah. And so take, a, take action on it. Yeah, I was going to say that's that's kind of how I articulate uh, at least what a good chunk of left of bang is really about for me is is just putting together a framework and a uh, a method, I guess, if you will, to become more conscious of a lot of those things that for many people are subconscious as far mm-hmm. as, you know, the picking up on those signs, those cues, those intuitions, you know, that something feels a little off here. What is that? And how do I, how do, how do I become a little more intentional with uh, recognizing and understanding what that might be? Yeah. Cause it's easy to ignore those, those instincts as Christy said, or intuitions as you described, which I, I agree. I think that's a good way, a better way of uh, articulating it. Um, yeah. There's definitely been times in my life that I've ignored things and regret it. And, uh, I think probably everybody, if they're being truthful, probably, you know, recognizes some similar, uh, experiences as well. So mm-hmm. definitely think it's a, an important thing. Um, we kind of started here by talking about, you know, like what, what do concealed carriers need to know? And, and you, you started right off the bat with talking about the, the software side of the equation and mm-hmm. it's the, the, the less sexy part of I don't know, defensive training, I guess, if you want to mm-hmm. uh, uh, lump it into that. Um, we titled this episode as Real World Skills for Concealed Carriers, and that's kind of where we've started. And and I, I want to, before we move on, want to make sure we kind of close some loops with respect to that. Okay. In defining real world skills for concealed carriers, if, if you were to say, like, what what do we really need to know on the software side of things, and where can we get further training, information, or knowledge? I think we've dropped a few things here and there already, but 
but where can we get more training and how can we further develop the software piece? Well, there's some, there's some fairly classic literature and I call it literature because it's so beautifully written, uh, that came around in the seventies, uh, from Jeff Cooper. And I'm, I'm, every time I go somewhere and, and talk about something younger people, I'll throw out the name Jeff Cooper and, and they don't know who he is. And, and I'm like, okay, uh, you got to know about Jeff Cooper because all of us that are in the training world are standing on his shoulders. Yeah. Um, there would be no civilian uh, relevant defensive firearms training of, of private citizens in this country without him and what he started. Uh, I mean, he, he is the fountainhead of it. Uh, but he wrote, yeah. uh, he, he promulgated the uh, color code mental conditioning, uh, yep. which was talking about, and it's not what danger you're in, it's what level of danger are you prepared to do something about it. He's talking about white, yellow, orange, and red mental conditioning or mental awareness levels. Uh, he, uh, there you go. That one's the next one I was going to say is principles of personal defense. That's, that is an easy read. Uh, you can, you can literally read yeah. that laying in bed before you go to sleep one night. Yep. 78 uh, pages. I think it is 79 pages. Yeah. Small oh. pages too with pictures. So <laughs> yep. you don't have to <laughs> doesn't take too long. Uh, and, and and for those that didn't see, uh, if you're listening only to this, Principles of Personal Defense by Jeff Cooper. Yeah. Uh, he wrote a great article. It was an American handgunner back in the 80s. And I'm sure you can find it. If not, I probably have a copy I could scan and send to somebody. It's called uh, The Combat Mindset. Yeah. Uh, a great article that he wrote. It's about five or six pages. And it was... it uh, It boiled down into one article, a beautiful approach to mental conditioning besides his color code it is it was uh in typical jeff cooper style it was beautifully written he he almost is has a hemingway style about him very sparse very very uh very clean and and concise but very articulate so i'm, I'm a fan of that uh, you know beyond that uh unfortunately uh, i don't know if you ever heard of mark twite uh Extreme Alpinism Climber. Yes, he, I have. He was talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great book. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he said something, and I thought, well, that's tough, but that's true. And that is, uh, he said that the artfully told tale is a great way to learn. He says, but otherwise, the burn hand is the best way to learn. Uh, so sometimes you get into the deal of just having experience, military and policing, uh, and and. It's kind of hard to get that across. Uh, a lot, an awful lot of concealed carriers or, or people that are out there looking for this uh, have had their hand burned. They've had a close call or they've been victimized. Uh, that uh, that seems to to launch a bunch of it. But essentially, it's common sense, and it's it is gaining an awareness that there are people out there that will victimize you. Uh, the big, I guess, if I was going to try to close that out. The biggest thing I saw of, of private citizen victims of crime, the biggest thing and the biggest mistake is the fact that they believe that bad guys have the same values, desires, and, and hopes and dreams for the future that they do, which is just completely wrong. 
bad guys that are out there victimizing people view us as food and opportunity and money and, and conquest and sex, whatever they want. They, they don't care about how you feel. Uh, they have, and the worst ones, the true psychopaths have absolutely zero empathy, zero chance you're going to dissuade them. Once they target you uh, and decide that they're going to attack you, the attack is going to happen. And uh, it's then up to your skills and your awareness to try to forestall it or defeat the attack. So thinking that bad guys think like you do, and that, that has to do with, you know, person to person kind of encounters. And I'll also throw out that it also has to do with when you end up on a jury duty, uh, realize that if you, if you convict, if you got a bad guy there in front of you, he ain't the same species as you are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, I mean, you're, kind of what you're touching on now is reminding me of, uh, the work of, uh, William April. Oh and, uh, my goodness. What a great, you know, his great body of work on the criminal mind. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one for a lot of average Joes and Janes to wrap their head around to like fully understand and appreciate of just of, of how, how the criminal mind works. Mm-hmm. And, because because we are not most of us including i mean probably i hope every one of you listening to this podcast are are of this uh type and uh, you know our law-abiding citizens that are just trying to go about your lives and and you know work hard and raise families and be productive citizens in your communities we, we are not the same as that criminal element we just not we, at all we think very differently, act very differently, and we cannot place upon the criminal actor our own biases because they're no, they're it, it's going to get us in trouble. Templates don't match at all. Mm-hmm. Two different yeah. templates, probably on the criminal side. There's probably two or three templates. You know, you got your super criminals, the true sociopath or psychopath. That he he is the worst case. But even down to the addicted thief, uh, they will do some positively horrific and terrifying stuff to you, too. And it's not because that they're really so much of a predator as they are just flat desperate. Right. So uh, you, you have a there's different types. But basically, if they're trying to victimize you, they're bad and they're dangerous and they don't think like you. So you've got to you, you have to uh, you have to switch channels and and, and deal with that out of your, you know, loving good guy kind of channel. Mm-hmm. It's a hard way to explain it. Mm-hmm. April. Yeah. I love William. Uh, several years ago, my wife runs a, uh, a nonprofit mental health uh, services organization here in the Dallas area. And uh, they take care of crime victims and do first responder counseling and a bunch of stuff like that. Good guys or good people, good folks. Sure. She hosted, she brought William in to uh, do a day or two of training with her staff. And uh, you got to understand, these are all mental health professionals. They're all counselors. You know, I think with one exception, they were all women. (laughs) They were horrified (laughs) because (laughs) he came in and presented his standard class about, about the criminal mind and how people, how they act. 
And he, of course, he was a mental health professional too. He was a licensed counselor. Uh, and I'll never, I, I kind of laughed and I thought, well, I don't know what you thought you were going to get, but you know, William April came and put on the William April show and, uh, and his, her, her folks were a little stunned, I think afterwards, yeah. but they certainly got the truth laid on them. Yeah. It usually is that way though. I think uh, when people are first, um, exposed to such things and the thing is, is far better be exposed in the form of a lecture, a video, a class than mm-hmm. the first time you're face to face with a criminal actor. Oh Lord. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, that's, that kind of echoes another theme of this podcast we've said for years and years. And that is that unfortunately, uh, bad things happen to good people all the time. All and, the time. And often when you least expect it, because, uh, you're just going about your life, doing your thing. And next thing you know, things are going sideways. So, yeah. uh, the, the sooner we can recognize such things, get ahead of those things, start taking steps, uh, in advance of whatever is, is occurring or about to occur, uh, well, far better. We can, we can usually come out the other end. Mm-hmm. It's true. Switching a little bit more from the software side of the equation, more over to, I guess the hardware, um, mm-hmm. The, the implementation of tools and whatnot. Uh, in our conversation, you and I, a week or two ago, talking over the phone, talking about some of your curriculum and, and things, and, and you were talking about what you do uh, in your handgun courses in particular. And uh, there was a lot there that you said that, that really resonated with me and, and kind of wanted to explore that a little bit further. Sure. It And again, approaching this from the perspective of, yeah, we, we, we have people of all colors and stripes uh, that follow and listen to this podcast, but, uh, uh, you know, got people are prop, pro, you know, this might be the first episode they ever listened to. And so you know, we just probably overwhelmed them with a bunch of software related stuff. And it's sort of like, well, where do I get started and, and, and how do I go down that path? But now we got to talk about the use of, of say a firearm or a tool. Um, uh, and that's a whole other journey in and of itself as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you say real world skills, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does a person need to be able to do with a f- firearm in their hands? In a practical There's a sense. list of things from a practical sense. Uh, when you get right down to it, the majority of the time, they don't even need to be able to shoot. They just need to be able to display effectively because uh, millions and millions of times a year, citizens, many of them not well-trained, not trained at all, uh, when a when an attack starts or an approach starts for an attack, uh, they'll display a firearm and uh, the bad guys will decide it's time to be somewhere else and take off. So in reality, if you're being really objective, uh, you know, you may not need to know much at all, but from the standpoint of if it gets down to shooting, if it gets down to a, a committed bad guy uh, trying to attack you or your family or whatever it might be, um, some things that have to happen is uh, you have to be able to access the weapon, mm-hmm. which means it has to be close at hand. And truth be told, it needs to be on your person. Um, that's that's one thing. It needs to be accessible. Yeah. You need to be able to access it. Uh, other things, other aspects of it, you need to be able to grip the gun uh, consistently, properly, 
and it needs to be a gun that more or less uh, matches up with your physique and your your uh, your physical abilities, because if it is quality firearm that you properly grip, uh, <clears throat> what I found is that proper grips, properly taught, properly executed, uh, solve about 90, 95% of the aiming problem. Uh, if you if you have the gun gripped right at typical encounter distances, uh, when you when you orient the gun on a suspect to shoot, uh, the gun gets aimed. That's not everything and that's not everybody, but what I notice over and over and over and over again, teaching, having taught for years, taught law enforcement people, private citizens, if they if they take a a pistol that they can grip right, that fits up with them, uh, and, and they grip it and extend it correctly, it, it lines up with the target. Um, yeah. <laughs> people selling sights and, and optics like I do maybe, maybe don't want to hear that, but, <laughs> but, but the truth is virtually all of these encounters yeah. are three to 20 feet in distance. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you don't have a really, from a technical shooting standpoint, you don't have a difficult shooting problem. Mm -hmm. So grip is one. Accessibility is the other one, uh, and part of that accessibility is your ability to quickly access the pistol when you need it. Grip helps you aim it, and then confirmation that you do have the gun uh, properly aligned with the threat. And that's done with sights, typically. And then the ability to trigger the gun or press the shot or shots without disturbing the alignment of the gun. That's the difficult part uh, for most folks uh, in yep. in in any kind of encounter. And when I say most folks, I am, I am including 99% of the police, uh, horrible sure. shooting performances, horrible shooting performances these days. Mm -hmm. um, so the ability to keep the gun aligned with the threat while you deliver the shots that are needed to solve the threat and solving the threat means either disabling it or uh, the threat decides they don't want to be around to get shot at anymore, which is probably describes the majority of, of defense shootings deals is maybe you don't hit them well, or you do hit them well, whatever, and they'll turn and run away, which is, mm -hmm. man, that's a big win when that happens. Um, yeah. Then the last thing would be the ability to do what I call follow through or recovery uh, from shot to shot. And that is uh, a lot more involved than a lot of people teach it because uh, follow through and recovery means that you, you recover an aligned weapon. Uh, you you get a trigger set up again and something that's hard to get across to a lot of people, especially if they're in the speed shooting world, is, is you've got to assess, do I need to shoot more? Uh, it's not one of these deals of saying you automatically shoot two or five or three or four right. or whatever. It's a matter of you have to assess from shot to shot to shot whether you should be shooting. So that's that's the uh, executive summary of, of, of defensive pistol use. Uh, mm accessibility, grip, alignment, trigger, and recovery to, uh, to do it again if necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, uh, to, to what you were saying <clears throat> with respect to grip and how when done properly, we pretty much take care of the bulk of the aiming problem. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, we sometimes see, uh, conversations take place. At least I see them online, you know, people talk about, uh, uh, I mean, to your point, you were talking about working for Aimpoint, and I mean, you sell red dots. Aimpoint's known for red dots, like 
pretty much the the birth of the red dot was oh, at yeah. a point, right? So yeah, yeah, we did the first one. Years yeah, ago. And, and and so like you know, I sometimes see conversations where it's like, well, why do I even need a red dot on my gun? Because like I'm just going to point and shoot, and it's like, well, to what you just said. <laughs> that probably does take care of a lot of situations. But what I see it as is uh, we grip properly. We get most of the work done that way. And the next pieces just get, they, they offer us greater levels of accountability right. and also insurance that we can mm-hmm. get the job done. And, and that's, that's important that's important not to overlook. Um, and especially in the, in a world that's, uh, rife with, um, finger pointing and, uh, liabilities. Uh, it's, it's important. We get the job done in, in a manner that doesn't put anybody else at risk and also ensures we, we take care of the job at hand. And speaking to that piece, I mean, just in the last weeks, there's been instances where, citizens have fired shots that have uh, missed their tar- intended targets and have uh, killed innocent bystanders. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, we can, we can grip properly and point and shoot, but you, you broke it all down beautifully. I mean, it's, we grip, we align, uh, we press the trigger without dis- disturbing that alignment. We recover the gun for more shots if needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we make decisions and and you know assess the situation appropriately. Um, that's a it's a fair summary. How is that presented in the in the context of like what does that look like in a class? So just as a preview of your block of instruction that you'll present at our conference later this year. Um, can you give us a sense for what, what, what will a student walk away from that hopefully able to achieve skill wise or standard or, you know, I guess what was an expectation of performance? Okay. Uh, from the skill point, obviously we, we take, take students through the, uh, the mechanics of all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's prefaced with the whole idea that if you're, if you're uh, where you really ought to be on this is the shooting part uh, is not something you're doing a lot of thinking about. And it may even become rather boring if you do it, especially that's one thing we're, we're pushing on teaching people how to use a pistol optic really well is if you're using the pistol optic really well, the shooting is something you're really not thinking about very much. You're not, yeah. it's, it's, it's literally boring at a certain point because you're just looking at a target, seeing the dot happen and, and breaking shots. And, you know, this is going to, some people are going to say, I think this guy's full of it, <laughs> but you learn how to use a pistol dot really well. And you are going to be much better because what you're doing with iron sights is you're having to queue up and synchronize trigger actions with sights. The dot takes all that sight alignment business and, and, and pitches it to the side. And literally the dot is waiting on the, on the trigger instead of trigger waiting or sights or trigger waiting on sights uh, like you do on iron sights. A lot of times mm. it's there's, there's something and, and we're, you know, Riley, we're all dipping our toe in the water on pistol optics, no matter what we might 
be thinking we're doing or how far we may think we are. The whole we're all collectively at the pond's edge uh, on on the the dot site on pistol, and it's that's going to be the thing. Uh, I don't see that going away. I think that's going to be. I think for people that are well trained, uh, and as the hardware develops over the next several years, I think we will be uh, taking a leap in pistol competence for people that were already competent. If they were incompetent, they will remain incompetent. I mean, it's, you're not going to buy the dot site and become competent. But I, I, I'm excited about what I see with pistol optics uh, coming at us, uh, especially in the service realm with them, uh, teaching people that are out there uniformed or or, or whatever, carrying pistols as, as a matter of work all the time. Uh, but back to the standards, we want subconscious performance at some point. Uh, a bunch of people reach that. We can sit there and tell that. Um, but ideally, we want subconscious performance because in these, in these situations, there's a lot of decision-making demands placed on you. Um, and it's 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 the deal of where am I? Where are they? What is their intent? Uh, is it necessary to shoot? Should I shoot? If I do shoot, what are the consequences? If I don't hit what I'm shooting at, what's downrange? What's beside? You know, we we teach people on ranges that are sterile, and then we give them their concealed carry permit or whatever, put them out there, and I I always tell them I says here's what I want you to do for the next six weeks, four or five times a day, wherever you are. I want you to look around and imagine that you get into a defensive encounter there and tell me, and I want you to look at the problems that you have right out there in front of you with regard to bystanders and downrange hazards, downrange uh, people that don't need to be shot. That's, yeah. that's always an eye opener. I do. I still do that. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll be somewhere and I'll look around and think, wow, what a mess this would be. Um, mm, yeah. But <clears throat> getting on to, uh, further on to performance stuff. One thing I look at, one thing I emphasize to people is most of the targets that people are shooting and shooting at and training on or practicing on are completely unrealistic. Uh, they're too big. Uh, we are essentially, uh, we are bipedal animals, uh, bipedal threats. And we have two spots on us that from a standpoint of using a pistol, uh, that have a high chance of success. And they're both about the same size. They're about the size of a fist or about the size of a grapefruit. And one of them is the, is the cardio area, uh, which is centered, you know, in the chest at about armpit level. And the other one is the brain, which is maybe a little smaller than a fist, but it's centered in the skull, maybe a little lower and, and, and at the back. And so if you're shooting these great big, uh, qualification and training targets and, splattering shots all over the place. Uh, what you're doing is you're not learning anything because if it's off that five inch circle, if it's off a B eight bull image, if it's, uh, if it's outside of that, it's most likely a miss. And if it's not a miss, then it is an ineffective hit. Uh, sometimes ineffective hits work, but you know, if, if you get into a deal where you're having to shoot for your life or to save somebody else's, uh, you don't want to waste time on ineffective hits. Right. And dag, I'm sure don't want to waste them on misses because that that is the kiss of death. Once you start missing, you keep missing, in my experience. Uh, if you start off hitting, you tend to keep hitting. Um, so the, the accuracy standard is there. Also, the pace uh, at which we deliver shots. Uh, not big on teaching people. Uh, if, if I hear somebody start talking about split times, then I know that we're living in two different worlds. 
split times. Uh, my only thing on split times is you have to shoot at a, at a pace at which you can stop after that shot. If you're shooting faster than about a 30 or 35 split, then you're out running your headlights. Uh, and in reality, uh, when you start engaging bad guys, uh, if you say, well, I've, I've always trained to fire five shots with 20 splits. And so that's what I'll do on there. No, you won't. You may, you'll fire those five shots, but what people don't understand is that when you shoot, when you start shooting at somebody, they don't stay there at the spot they were when you started, they move around, they either run yeah. or move laterally or move towards you, but they, they change their location. So if you sit there and try to shoot a cluster of shots off one side picture or one side alignment, you're going to shoot a bunch of misses. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's a problem. So what a successful defensive shooting looks like is very few shots that are not fired as fast as a lot of people might think they are um, because you don't want to be leaking shots. Uh, if you're missing, if you're missing, you're losing. Uh, that's, that's all there is to it. Mm -hmm. If you're missing, when you fire a miss, people don't get this, but, and they think, well, I'll, I'll make it up. When you fire a miss, all kinds of things happen and not a single one of them are good. Uh, you wasted a round of ammunition. The attack continued and you uh, wasted time, which is the most precious commodity in there. Just, it's not about high capacity pistols because you're almost certainly going to run out of the time that you have to solve the problem before you're going to run out of the ammunition that you have in the gun. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I, I realize that some people get really, I mean, they almost get ready to, to build a pole to tie me to it and burn me up uh, <laughs> when I start talking about that. But it's, it's two different worlds. It's not the competitive world. It's not USPSA or anything like it's not steel challenge. It is uh, you having a, a, a deadly force encounter in a place that's not a range. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it has none of the uh, features of a range to contain bullets or to assist you with identification or anything else. It is literally a freestyle mess uh, in which you are putting your life at risk and putting the lives of people that aren't involved in this mess at risk too. If you, if you don't perform at a good level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that resonates so strongly with me. Um, and, and for some people, including longtime listeners maybe that, that are familiar with some of what I do, especially in my spare time, which is competitively shoot. It may come as a surprise to them to hear that, but it resonates with me because I believe absolutely in accountability for shots. And, and, and when I say accountability to me, it's, I want to hit them in the pump house or in the control center. Um, I do not want to miss um, some of the reasons why I do what I do and train in some sports that push me at a, a very high rate of speed is because I recognized on the back end of that, it has provided me the ability to process visual information relative to a site picture at a, at a level where, um, everything else becomes easier. And uh, I just released a new target that we use in my classes that I teach. And in the scent, like, yes, there's a USPSA A zone in there, but there's also slightly larger. It's actually a 10 ring of a B8 gray area in right about where the heart would be. And 
there are exercises and drills that I do where I want to hit that 10 ring in the high center chest. And that becomes so much easier with, you know, all of my skill level over the years has increased dramatically. Um, but when it comes down time to, I want to hit a relatively small area in as quick a time as I can, um, that, that just gets easier and easier. The, the, the over, you know, the better my overall skill becomes and visual processing and brain processing and all that improves. Um, I've had conversations with uh, guys like Matt Little about this, you know, a guy that's been a, been there, done that sort of guy, uh, but also competes. And it's interesting picking his brain and guys like him uh, for their thoughts on, well, what does the real world problem look like compared to say the high speed competitive problem? And the real world problem is, is that my objective changes uh, the criticality of my shots goes up in a big way. Big time. Um, and if your goal is to hit that pump house, let's say, if that's the standard, again, fist size, slightly bigger, perhaps grapefruit sized. I agree with you there. Um, if that's my objective, it naturally uh, meters my speed in a manner that it becomes much more appropriate for the circumstances if instead i treat and where i'm going with this is if instead i treat if i look at a a a human target and i think i just see this big shape you know and i i and i take the approach of well anywhere on there is a is a is acceptable um that that is that is not the right attitude to have Uh, we we will hold ourselves to a high standard of accountability and if we do that, uh, I, I think the rest will take care of itself. It should. Um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, oh my goodness. There he goes. Uh, <laughs> it, Comments it's, on it's, Facebook, folks. <laughs> it's hard to get across uh, to a lot of people this, this difference. I have no problem with the competitive shooting world. And I, what I do is, it's like racing, uh, auto racing. I'm not interested in auto racing, but auto racing gives us, has given us, especially I, I, I remember as a teenager changing points and plugs on cars and tuning carburetors and, and, and you know, graduated high school in 75 and had those cars back then. And people talk about, oh man, you lived in the good old days when you had those great cars. I said, those cars sucked. Uh, <laughs> they did. I mean, give me a fuel injected, you know, electronic ignition car, you know, every day of the week. Now, I, I mean, I can't remember the last time I got in a car, uh, in modern times and started it and it didn't start, but that was, that was a once a month thing when I was a kid growing up. So auto racing has given us better cars. Uh, competitive pistol shooting, uh, has given us, uh, better guns. It's given us guns that work. It's given us better magazines. It's given us sights. Uh, you know, we have we have taken that stuff and and turned it into uh, into usable things for the defensive and the service pistol world. So, not against it. I but you know, driving in the Daytona 500 has absolutely zero reference, mm-hmm. or zero applicability 
to me going out and driving in Collin County right now, especially since there's ice on all the bridges right now. Okay. <laughs> yep. You, you, you have to understand what the context is you're working in so that you have proper equipment and attitude and executions to dealing with problems in that, that context in that situation. Yeah. And, and I'm with you there because I've got uh, snow and ice on the ground here in Denver. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> uh, going fast is the wrong solution as people on I-25 found out today and caused a pile. Oh, that place, the, I don't know what it is about the I-25. That seems to be worse than any place in the whole Western U.S. <laughs> I, I remember trying to get from Colorado to Denver, Colorado Springs to Denver one time, and it snowed the first week of May. Uh, this was a couple of years ago and I was like, holy smokes, what a nightmare. 25 was closed. I had to get off. There's some North South state highway to the East that mm-hmm. goes up and I drove that. Uh, and that was scary. Enough. Highway 85. Yeah. I think that, yeah, that was it. But I'm, I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, there's idiots <laughs> everywhere. And I thought Colorado people knew how to drive on this stuff. They don't. <laughs> See, it's not the, it's not the natives yet to worry about. It's the problem is uh, we, we have so many transplants. A lot of here. Texans. A lot of Texans. A lot of Texans. (laughs) They don't know how to do it either. I I don't understand because it's less free here than the great state of Texas. Anyway. They come up there to ski and hunt, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, This has been a great discussion, Wayne. I appreciate your time. I I, I recognize there's some some threads here that have been developed that I think will uh, provide some great uh, fodder for us to go deeper on and discuss sure. at greater length tomorrow evening in our guardian nation live, uh, webinar event. And so, uh, I look forward to that as well, Me too. but we are coming to, uh, it's been actually just over an hour and I want to be respectful of your time. And of course we, we do try to keep these uh, episodes, uh, digestible in length. Right. Uh, so I'd like to just kind of throw, it back to you for a minute and, and just see what would be some final parting thoughts, uh, ideas, uh, concepts, whatever, you know, if there's something we feel like that we didn't hit on today, maybe we should have, or some context that's important, relevant to our discussion today, but what would you leave our fine listeners and viewers with as we, as we part ways today? Uh, you know, we didn't dig into it very much, but I'll just throw it out as a highlight. Maybe a, a come on for tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. There are, I have a collection of drills and, and little short courses of fire and they're, they're out there in the, in the commonly available uh, sites and, and locations. But I like to spend a lot of time when I'm teaching. And, and in fact, when we're, uh, when we're at the conference in September, uh, we will focus a lot on a bunch of drills and courses of fire that are done at the really realistic distances, certainly inside of 10 yards. Uh, they will not be high round count, but they will be extremely, they'll be 100% accountability drills. Uh, people have seen some of them. Uh, there's, mm-hmm. there's nothing really mysterious about any of them, but I, I get, especially in these days of ammo costing a fortune and availability being a, a problem, uh, you get a lot of value out of them and it, it can help you to understand how you, how you develop this, this high accountability, deliberate shooting skill. Uh, the accuracy standards uh, that that make you very defensible, make you very successful in in actual encounters. So mm-hmm. uh, that's that's kind of what I, I like to to focus on when I'm teaching people. 
uh, is teach you how to do something that will work if you need to use that firearm to defend yourself. Mm. Speaking of which, uh, since you opened the door on that one a little bit here, uh, I believe it's you and Daryl Bulky that are credited for the super test. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Which I think yeah. is an awesome drill because we take, I mean, if we take the classic test or 10, 10, 10, uh, and there's some groups of folks out there like to shoot that a bunch. Oh yeah. See it all over Facebook. <laughs> that, that gets boring after a while. I'll be mm-hmm. honest. I think the super test is, is a, is a great next step up from that. Uh, introducing some, some shots, obviously from 15, 10 and five yards, you get mm-hmm. a little bit more hyper accuracy focus and you get up closer where speed starts becoming a little bit more uh, relevant. Right. And uh, I think that's a fantastic drill. It's a great drill. Uh, it'll crush your soul. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I, I give proper credit, Hackathorn, Ken Hackathorn, uh, and or Larry Vickers both kind of brought the test forth. And then Ken came up with half test at five yards mm-hmm. and Daryl and I were sitting there looking at it. And I said, I said, let's, let's, let's make it a super test. And, and so it's, it's almost like, I don't know what some kind of come on. We, we said, let's do the 15 yard and, and, and work that out. And then we of course had to have the advanced super test where you, you know, the gun was concealed and holstered to crush your soul even further, you know, if you don't know how to draw. Uh, but frankly, it's, it's, it is a great drill. Uh, I, I, I'm careful with it because uh, I start looking at things and say, what are we doing here? What are we teaching people to do? And I want to be careful that people understand it's a range shooting drill, not a tactical drill so much because I don't want to teach anybody that you draw your gun and shoot 10 rounds every time. And that's, right. that's the downside of those, of some of those tests like that is they encourage or they're teaching people to, to do that. I, I'm aware of two departments around here in Dallas that everybody, everything on their qualification course is five round strengths. And one of them, one of the guys from one of the departments in their firearms training unit was talking about, yeah, everybody always shoots five rounds. We don't know why. I said, are you <laughs> kidding me? Have you read your qual course? I said, you're teaching people that don't like to shoot, don't want to shoot, don't have, but have to carry guns that if you draw the gun and shoot, you shoot five. So you teach them to shoot five, no, whatever it's required. And uh, so that's, that's why I'm careful about some of that stuff. Absolutely. And yeah, that's been a topic of discussion a number of times, even on this podcast too, about, uh, I mean, context is everything and you got to mm-hmm. understand the purpose behind things and keep, keep things in the appropriate, uh, spaces. Uh, where can people find out more about you, your training, your collection or library as Brian Eastridge refers to it of drills from you shoot me an email. Cool. Make shoot, shoot me an email. I'll be glad to talk to them or, uh, it's just wayne.dobbs at yahoo as is the email I use constantly. Uh, if you have aim point questions, I'm not talking about Wayne Dobbs mm-hmm. talking about drills, but if you have legitimate aim point questions, especially if it's law enforcement agency, it's Wayne.dobbs at aimpoint.com. You heard it here, folks. So you, now you can go spam the man. Uh, no, don't. don't, don't spam. <laughs> Be respectful and, uh, uh, legitimate questions. Yeah. Fi- fire them away to, uh, to Wayne here. Uh, it's been a pleasure, sir. And I appreciate your time today and, and, uh, look forward again to tomorrow evening's event as well. We're gonna have a great time folks. Uh, again, a couple just 
you know, parting shots here. Uh, don't forget if you want to learn more about uh, Aimpoint, go to aimpoint.us. Uh, new products there being released. In fact, there was one here that caught my eye, Wayne. I was looking at the site and saw here the, an EDC coin purse, and I was like, "Oh, interesting!" From Aimpoint, even an uh, EDC coin purse. See, I'm telling you something new. Apparently, I haven't seen that. Here's <laughs> here's here's the the latest coolness. That is Duty RDS. Yeah. Uh, everybody needs, if you, if you need a rifle optic, this is the one to get, man, this, they did a heck of a job with this, uh, product development wise and, and, uh, price point wise performance. I, I'm, I'm astounded by it and uh, yeah. I'm very excited about it. So uh, give an eight point plug there. I agree. Uh, I think that looks like a winner and is, uh, is a really great price point. I think it'll be hard to argue with in terms of the quality of product really you're receiving. Be. Uh, the feedback from people I trust, uh, I've been getting back on the newest and greatest Acro, the P2, has been mm-hmm. very, very positive as well. Some nice steps up from uh, from the original P1, and right. so that's that's cool to see you guys innovating on that some more and uh, seeing that uh, get more and more out there, like I said, into the wild. And uh, yeah, good stuff from Aimpoint. Uh, folks, again, the uh, Guardian Conference later this year would be a great opportunity for you to come and get training from Wayne here as well as a bunch of other great world-class instructors. Go to guardianconference.com and learn more and get signed up today. We, we hope to see you there. I mean, the ticket sales are going pretty well. Uh, I, I'm pretty confident we're going to uh, exceed and surpass uh, last year's attendance numbers, and uh, that's exciting to see. Uh, so you, you're not going to want to miss out. This is going to be, I think, one of the events that you're going to want to be a part of this year. And uh, the price is right. It's a lot of quality training for over three days for a reasonable price. Uh, again, guardingconference.com presented by CCW Safe. So we're going to let you go there. And okay. uh, as we always do on the podcast here, our final words are as a reminder to folks to remember to train right train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.